welcome to another spooky October episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Boo. And Jeremy Gregory. How can I ever top that? It's hard to top That's... Boo with the scariest intro. I apologize. Anybody with a uh, weak constitution that, that might have got, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I should probably think next time before I do something like that. People listen to this in their car. They could have just driven off the road in sheer terror. Could have been an absolutely disaster, but hopefully that didn't happen. And you're here to listen to our first uh, full-length episode this Halloween on a, a patron-requested game. We're going to do an interview with that patron later, but it is Clock Tower for the PlayStation. Uh, not technically the first Clock Tower game, but in the United States it is. And we're going to get into that. But first, Billy, what have you been playing since our oh last episode? Oh boy! Well, I you know I was playing CrossCode, hot and heavy. No big surprise there. Um, but god damn, I picked up that Hades, and I have just been playing uh, that thing to death. I am more hours into it uh, than I would care to admit. I am The amount of hours into it that, that uh, you would wonder, uh, Billy, as a working man, how, how have you put that many hours into it? Well, you know, uh, I did all the sleep hours every now and then. Some games every now and then uh, command you to do such a thing. And this one has. Uh, I have just, mainly besides this game here, I, I have been playing Hades, hot and heavy. Uh, all the time I've put into it, uh, the, the dialogue in this game, the writing and the voice acting is phenomenal. And all these hours in and all these run-throughs in, nothing, nothing has repeated itself dialogue-wise. There is still... Um, story with various characters unfolding throughout. Uh, I, guess, I guess you kind of unlock more uh, of each character's little little story uh, the more you interact with them. Uh, there's gifts you can give. So, that, so the more you do that and the more you talk with them, kind of the more it unlocks. So there is still, uh, I don't know how much is left to do. Uh, a ton, apparently, even though I've already played through that much. So that is, that's, that's a strong game. Uh, that's a, a hefty recommend from me. Well, I have not been uh, been playing too many things. Uh, I'm trying to stay to the, the Halloween spooky feeling. Uh, what I have mm. been doing every day, though, is I am getting back on Animal Crossing every day and growing yes. pumpkins and make, getting the recipes so I can make my town all spookyified. Uh, yes. That's a very yeah. slow process this year because you, you only get the recipes uh, kind of by luck every day, and I have not gotten too many of them. Uh, so I, so far I can make a whole lot of, uh, pumpkins that are next to hay bales. So I have those all over my town and a few things you can buy from the store this year, which is good. You don't have to just get them from, uh, from crafting or from the event. Uh, but I, I'm slowly working on that. I'm spending more time on that than I probably should be. Uh, the other thing I've been playing is, I think I mentioned on a previous episode that I, I have acquired an N64 again. And one of the games I hunted down was Castlevania 64 because I'd never played it for more mm. than a few minutes. And, uh, you know, a, a listener of the show was like, oh, it's the only Castlevania I've ever played, which was mind-blowing to me. Uh, but I realized I'd never really given it a fair shake. So I found a copy. I've been slowly playing through that. It is an incredibly frustrating game. Uh, there, there are checkpoints in where you can save, and there are long chunks of gameplay in between them. Uh, because it's an N64 game, the textures aren't incredibly amazing. So especially if there's a series of tunnels or, or like a, any kind of maze, it's really, really hard to keep track of how to get through it. Uh, that said, I, I am slowly playing through that, and that's been, been keeping me busy as well, uh, along with the games we're playing today. But the other thing I did, and I can't explain why. I can't explain why I did this because I have a Vita, and it's sitting, in fact, right next to me right now, and I have the actual 
like cartridge for this game, but for whatever reason, I bought Persona 4 Gold again on Steam this time so that I could play it uh, really anywhere I wanted to, which is dumb since I had it on a handheld where I could play it anywhere I wanted to. I don't know what I was thinking, but I did, I did buy it again, so I'm playing through that again as well, which is going to take up way too much time, uh, which is okay. I, I do love that game, and I've played it enough that I don't feel like I have to read everything. I can click through all the, the story parts really fast. But yeah, I, I've inexplicably bought a game I already owned yet again. I'm really, really good at that. And not a new game, it just happens. another game. It I, happens. I, 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 Persona 4 is going to be that game for me where I buy it on every single format it comes out for. Watch. I'll have, I'll have it on 20 different formats six years from now, and that's okay with me. It is a great game. But Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last show? I decided to go back and try out Borderlands 3 again. Oh, it, boy. Well, it came out la- around this time last year, and I don't know if anybody has been listening long enough to, to hear the, the, the one podcast around that time where me and Billy just kind of lost our minds <laughs> and spent like 25 minutes talking about it. <laughs> and not positively either. And not positively either. It was It was a huge disappointment. I think it was my biggest disappointment as far as video games last year. And so I was like, it was it was on sale on Steam. So I was like, you know what? I'll just give this another try. I didn't play it on Steam last time. I played it on PS4 and Xbox. And they've definitely tweaked a lot of stuff. This is mm. a much more enjoyable game these days. Before, like, I had a big complaint as far as just the kind of weapons that they handed out during the course of the game. You never felt like you were doing much damage at all to these yeah. these guys. Maybe once in a while you would find a decent gun. But it would only be, you know, viable for as far as like fun to kill things with for a few levels. But now, like I got out of the first like area with three orange weapons Mm. and and they are just dropping all over the not, you know, constantly, but they're dropping at a good pace and other epic guns as well that are fun to use and fun to experiment with. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought that Borderlands would have been more fun? if you give people more guns to fucking use and that they're actually fun to use. Did they, that sounds like an improvement. Did they by any chance tweak the, the lazy ass writing from, from the, uh, from when I last played it? No, did they, did they, did they send some, maybe, uh, you know, order a big thing to Starbucks, pass it around the office, get those writers good and awake so they can make, so they can make some inspired writing. (laughs) I haven't played the DLC yet, which people say that the DLC episodes are pretty good, but mm-hmm. nothing can really help the main story. I've just kind of had to pretend it doesn't exist. I can skip through most things, but like it's that's as bad as it was before. But I can say for certain that actually playing through it all now is, is fun. I, I'm enjoying myself. I know last time, about three-fourths of the way through, I was just kind of running through everything i wasn't even fighting unless i had to i was just getting to checkpoints this time i'm actually having fun fighting things and Mm. it's it's fun to go through these levels because i have enough guns and enough variety to keep it all fun and it doesn't take like five minutes just to kill one badass psycho yeah so there's the gameplay is definitely improved the loot has definitely improved Mm. i'm I think I'm actually going to stick around and try the DLC stuff. I'm I'm right at the very end of the game again. Yeah. And uh, uh, but again, the story's just garbage. It, yeah. There's, well, I'm, it, I'm, I might have to try it then, because um, I'm at my favorite part of any Borderlands is after the game's over, and you're just you know you're going around kind of grinding bosses and 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 just you know seeing what what overpowered shit you can pick up and, and to kind of try to finish leveling myself up. But nobody's dropping anything. Um. So, may, so maybe that'll alleviate that. Yeah, I haven't touched the DLC yet, so 
I don't know. Um, I'm I'm enthused by what you're saying because I, I I fucking love those games. Two is one I'm still playing. Um, yeah, I, if if it's if they've done what you've said, then I, I guess that's probably worth looking back into. I definitely look into it again. Uh, you know, it's it's it might be worth just kind of starting over and and trying it all again. That's what I did, but it's it's much improved as far as the gameplay goes. The shooting was always good in this mm-hmm. game before. It had probably the best shooting of any of the Borderlands as far as like handling of the guns and moving around and stuff like that. But it was just it was just underpowered gun after underpowered gun. You never got any decent drops, and it was just kind of tedious to get through. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's that's that has been rectified completely. So if you were if that was a thing that was really kind of bothering you before then check it out now because I think it is it is well worth your time and money. Just ignore the story. Well, if you've been playing a game with a story that's kind of a mess, then you have been playing two games that match that category because we were playing Clock Tower for the PlayStation. So like I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, Clock Tower for the PlayStation was the first Clock Tower that we received in North America, or Europe, honestly. It was only, the, the original game uh, was on Super Nintendo, and was only released in Japan. Uh, Billy, I know you're familiar with the original. Uh, do, do you have like a summary of that story? Because this game does follow the story, like it, it, it is a sequential story to that original story, that it does not provide you with much at all in that background if you hadn't played the original. Yeah, I I don't I played this thing. This was one of those I tried to play um, the the original Clock Tower, um, and and you know the one time I played it the majority of the way through, uh, the whole thing was in Japanese. So <laughs> take uh take what you will from it. Imagine playing through this one, but you don't understand uh, what's being said. Essentially, you play um, as as Jennifer. Uh, you are very much just a kind of kind of plain Jane. You don't have any powers or anything like that. You're a you know a, a, I'd say late teens, early twenty uh, year old girl. You are in uh, this mansion, and basically there is some diminutive creature uh, with a very oversized pair of scissors who uh, is is conveniently enough, uh, you know. Uh, Ryder was maybe a little, we talked about lazy writing at the beginning. Uh, there may have been a little bit more because this guy with the big scissors is, is known as Scissor Man. Um, and it's not a Mega Man boss or anything like that. Um, and what was neat was just the the feel of it. Um, I, and what got me through the original was that it controlled and played a lot like um, a horror film would. Uh, you know, you had your chases, and as soon as the as soon as the enemy had you in their sights, you can't really do anything to defeat them. You're just kind of running and hiding. Uh, so that was interesting. You know, the way the soundtrack would ramp up, uh, and, and things we'll we'll talk about as we as we go into this one. Um, plot goes. I I can't <laughs> give you a lot because I played that thing through in Japanese. I have not had the the privilege yet. Or I guess I, it's there for me. I haven't had the time yet to play this thing through in English to see what is going on. I know there is some occult things 
going on. There is someone that turns into a gigantic purple baby looking thing. Uh, there's a lot of weird shit going on and there's a, several endings, multiple endings, which is something we'll get into again here. Um, I wish I could tell you more. I, I wish I could. Um, maybe I'll update you later on. But yeah, um, that was one thing when we went into playing this one. Um, I believe that the the Super Nintendo one did make it here, um, albeit under Clock Tower, the first fear, I believe is is what it was called once it got here. Um, so yeah, when, when I put this one in, uh, originally when I played it, I thought we were going to get into that, that Super Nintendo one. <laughs> so, so some things, um, made sense to me. Like I, I understood, you know, why Jennifer was, was there and, and things like that. And, and I quickly got that it was the aftermath of what happened in this mansion. Um, but other things, yeah. Um, with this being the first game that hit here. Uh, and having no knowledge at all, like no base knowledge of what transpired in the first one, uh, it's 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 a little confusing to, to kind of work through. Because I, I feel like, I, and I don't know if you guys do, I feel like this game kind of, uh, you can have a good time with it on its own, but I, I feel like it kind of expects you to have knowledge of the previous. Well, I mean, it definitely does because i had no fucking clue what was happening but it mm. does at least give you in the options i believe there's a back a very brief backstory yeah that, that you can that's kind of scrolls uh, through and, and you can read but it, it does not go into any sort of details as far as the characters and and the ones returning and things like that which was the main thing that i was generally lost on but yes i i had no no clue what was happening because it, it really just kind of when it started, it was like the next episode of a TV show that yeah. you had just not seen the previous season of or something. So, yeah, it was it was literally like literally like that going into it. Well, and if you when you turn the game on, if you just let the cinematic run that, you know, is the, the loading cinematic before you actually start playing the game. There is that giant purple baby that Billy had mentioned. Uh, <laughs> there's there's just all this stuff that comes across the screen and you're like, well, this game's going to be insane. If you didn't know this was based on a previous game and you finish this game, even with the best possible ending or the worst possible ending, you're like, what was that giant baby thing in the intro? That's never explained. <laughs> what is this thing? I have no idea. Uh, and yes, yeah, so it, it is following the story of the uh, the original game, which takes place at the Barrows Mansion. Uh, you play as Jennifer, who is uh, like a, an orphan who's a, uh, been adopted by this family that adopts a whole bunch of kids all at once, basically, uh, to, to put in this giant mansion because they have a rich benefactor that, that that's what he does as his his positive you know world activity right so he adopts all these kids so they all show up at the house at the same time and you know essentially there the mystery unravels and people start dying this scissor man's chasing you around and as jennifer you have to kind of solve the mystery which does get into some occult things uh, and and kind of culminates finding out that the two children of the 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 madam of the house mary barrows mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. born deformed in some way or 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 just in general demons it really doesn't explain it necessarily scientifically and i don't think it needs to since one of them uh that that is it becomes scissor man and the other one is becomes essentially i mean i don't mean like a giant baby like oh it's half the size of a regular person but it's a baby which is also terrifying but this is like a giant baby that you have to run from almost like it's godzilla uh while it crawls on the ground and, and looks kind of scary that, that's all in the original game that's not the game we're going to talk about here uh, also i'd like to point out that the game clock tower on the playstation does not feature a clock tower so that's useful 
the original game does, and the fact the game kind of ends in the, the Clock Tower area, so it makes sense there. They do reference the Clock Tower in that story uh, because they were talking about the, the Barrows Mansion had this Clock Tower that everyone used uh, in town in general to, to keep track of you know when to to wake up in the morning, all this other stuff. So they they do reference that there is a Clock Tower. That said, the building you're wandering, the buildings and areas you wander through in this game do not include a Clock Tower. So this game, uh, the original game, came out in 1994. Five for the Super Nintendo, and it was developed by Human Entertainment. And uh, Human Entertainment, I had looked at what else they had done. They did a bunch of games that I mean, they've been around since I think 1983, 1984. They had done like some of the the Fire Pro Wrestling games. They they had some other games I recognized, but nothing that was like, oh, this is the company that made you know this major game series. Um, and this was their you know kind of a, a pet project of Hifumi Kono, who was a, a programmer there, and he really liked. Uh, according to a couple things I found online, you know, he kind of really liked the Dario Argento Italian horror films. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those, but Suspiria is the mm-hmm. one I'm the most familiar with. And this definitely has that kind of feel where it's it is uh, it, it's got some supernatural elements, but it's not like a Friday the Thirteenth or a Nightmare on Elm Street. You're not you're not they're not crazy. I mean, Scissor Man is in this game and he does kill people with scissors, but it's not it's not like he is extremely supernaturally powerful. He's just a guy with a giant pair of scissors. And he shows up at inopportune times and tries to kill you, but he's not inhuman. He's not uh, impossible to stop for, for short periods of time. He just keeps showing back up. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pacing is very similar, too, to one of those kind of movies, and that there's, there's long, slow parts where you kind of have to just figure out what's going on while nothing really happens. And then when the action does happen, it takes over what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, much like the original Super Nintendo game, this game is essentially a point-and-click adventure. It is in 3D, unlike the, the Super Nintendo one is a flat, more traditional 2D adventure, 2D action adventure. This is... It's kind of a weird mix between uh, a point-and-click adventure game and then the, the feel of the Resident Evil house. You know what I mean? Like, you have to actually point, you know, if you're going through all the rooms like you would, your character's on the screen, although they move as if you're clicking a mouse pointer around the room. They don't move with the, the D-pad. But but it's still that same, like, when you go into certain hallways, the angles are certain ways. Uh, the camera will actually let you move uh, as you're moving the mouse pointer around to kind of get some of the different angles in some of the larger rooms. So it is, it's kind of this neat mid-grade uh, of what would be, you know, a 2D adventure game landscape and like a Resident Evil, which I thought was really cool. It it is. I I love the presentation of it. I, I said that the that original uh, Super that sixteen bit version uh, played a, a lot like a horror film. This one definitely um, kind of ratchets that up, and it plays very similar um, to to how a a horror sequel would, um, where we're we're just kind of a lot of dialogue, very dialogue heavy. It might be to the extent of being a little off putting. To some people, you know, the first, um, you know, first 15, 20 minutes of this, especially if you're coming in, you know, completely fresh, uh, it, it may be a little, you might be wondering if, if anything is going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that. I love how they are kind of establishing the, the story. I, I think the game, uh, one of the things I, I'll, I'll praise about it throughout is just the kind of the way it's it's presented. I, it's very movie-like, a lot more than I would say, you know, a, a Resident Evil or, or something like that is. But yeah, it does definitely have that feel um, of some of those, you know, early 
survival horror type games. Uh, but definitely this one has a lot more of a movie edge to it. And that, that I found that really interesting right from the start. When I first started this up, not only did I get the cursor that came onto the screen, which I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but once that started and, like, I, I saw, like, that I had to scroll over things and the slow text would just kind of come on screen Ooh, and go away. Yeah. Every, I was literally just like, what are you guys trying to do for me? Like, we played Willie Beamish. We played Beavis and Butthead. And now this. And this... This one, these little, uh, they're not the scenario, I guess, what, what do you call them? the pro Well, this is the prologue scene. Whenever you first start it, it's kind of like the story section mm -hmm. of the game. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you're doing these, it is really close to just the adventure aspect of a point-and-click game. You're just kind of pointing and clicking him around, and the, the cursor, whenever you hover it over something, it will kind of expand, showing that you can actually click on that. That's something that you can explore or look at or talk to or whatever. And it, it's just very, very slow. And after Willie Beamish doing this, I was just like, there's no way I can actually play this. Like, this is torture. <laughs> because it's, it is literally that kind of, it's slow like that. But this is a tale of two games. Because once you do get past that aspect of the game, then you get into the, the thing that just kind of blew me away. Like, I, I did not expect how, how good that part of the game was. It's just these, these man, these sections where you just kind of got to talk and talk and, and click things. And there's certain things that you have to do inside scenes before you can mm -hmm. actually continue. There, there, there was a that, literally the second screen of the game. You have to, like... <laughs> talk to everyone multiple times yes. you have to look at things sometimes multiple times and you have to make sure you have looked at literally everything you can in that scene before it will let you go out the door otherwise it's yes. like i i still need to do some things in here and i there was one spot that i could not figure out where i needed to go uh, or click on or whatever and it was nothing but i had to do that before it would let me continue on and at that point i was like I, I can't. I there's. Mm. I can't play this game. Yeah. The, the, so, like you mentioned, it is kind of two games mashed together, sort of. Uh, there's a lot of bleed, especially in the final area where there are talking sections and there are um, exploration and slash action sections. But, but the first part of the game, the prologue, um, as we mentioned, this is a a sequel in story as well to the original Clock Tower. So in this game, you play as uh, in the prologue as Doctor Barton. And Dr. Barton is a psychologist of some sort that is dealing with Jennifer, who was, was the, you know, the hero slash escapee of the first game, uh, as she tries to, you know, get over what happened to her. But also he's, as part of this now, he's super fascinated with the idea of Scissor Man. Um, apparently someone has now, since the original game, uh, been killing people with a giant pair of scissors. So everyone now thinks Scissor Man has returned. Uh, you know, how, how could that be possible? Jennifer swears that she killed Scissor Man in the first game. And so he's dealing with her to try to help her get over her own issues, but also to get any information about Scissor Man. You know, who could this other person be? Is it just a copycat killer? You know, what, what could be happening? Um, so in the, the prologue section is kind of the game teaching you how to 
kind of explore everything by using that cursor, finding everything. It does mean that in that first, I guess the second room of the game, but the first room you can really move stuff around in, yes, you obnoxiously have to talk to people several times because it's kind of teaching you you're going to have to do that. You may need to talk to people several times, uh, much like in an RPG where you're in a town. Uh, if you talk to someone and they say the same thing twice, then stop talking to them. But if not, and they keep saying different things, even if it seems unimportant, you probably want to keep talking to them. So I think that's what it's trying to teach you, even though it's it's doing it very poorly. Um, you go through the introduction, and you know af- after you kind of talk to Jennifer and talk to the other people you're in your office, there's a reporter there from a newspaper. You go talk to him, and the game then kind of switches over to what the... Uh, non-prologue, but yet non-scenario is what we'll call the action sections, but the non-scenario part, where you get to now, you know, kind of explore the town that you're in. Uh, You're in a town in Norway. You can go to several different locations, depending on um, what you've unlocked story-wise, but there is the the campus that you're working on. There's campus housing. There's a police station. There's a museum slash library. There is the newspaper uh, reporters, I, mean, I guess I guess the newspaper offices that the reporter came from, and some other places will unlock as you continue in the story. So for this part of the game, there's no there's no scissor man, but you're going from place to place and talking to people to try to figure out um, more or less what your next step would be, but also any any information on scissor man. Um, there's a statue that's in the the main doctor's office. You have to end up getting taken somewhere, either the museum or just the, this guy's house. Who, who was familiar with the mansion, uh, to, to get more information on this statue. Like, there's these little story beats that are not the best organized as far as the narrative goes. Like, why would you care so much about this statue? But it's there. Um, yeah, and, and very important pro tip. Uh, keep in mind where you sent the statue to. Uh, it, you know, for certain endings, you're, you're going to need to know where that statue has headed off. Um, so, so, so that's a tip for you. Well, and, and we'll get I into did, that. I did not that, follow that pro tip. Well, the, and we'll get into the different endings uh, after we kind of go over the, the two yeah. parts of the game. Because I think I think I, I don't want to give away everything, but I think there are some oh, things no. that you kind of need to let everybody know, yeah. uh, or else they're not going to enjoy this game even a bit. <laughs> so after <laughs> you, you know go, that that app screen when it first came up, I, I was a little worried um, because I assumed it was going to be one of those things. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, this game, uh, Jeremy had mentioned it has some of the slowest text without, without the option to speed through it, without the option to skip over anything. Uh, so I, I was a little worried that I was going to be visiting, uh, spots where there wasn't going to be anything to do quite yet, but they do a good job of, uh, of kind of saving you a little time. Like you'll, you'll click on the the newspaper office, you know, she'll say something like, oh, if I go there, they'll just, you know, just kind of hound me. It's like, well, let me go here. It's like, well, you know, Helen won't be home right now. So I was very relieved um, that that this uh, didn't become a very open, let me go to this area and search around, but there's nothing there except really slow dialogue because it's not time for me to be there. Um, so that was nice. I, I, I like the way that was laid out. Um and and yeah, but so far I'm enjoying uh, the the I'm enjoying the story <laughs> that we're getting, um, and I am very enthused at this point because it's about 20 minutes in and we're on our second character, and I love it when games kind of jump around and you get to play as a few characters. I was relieved that whenever you do click on these areas to go visit them, that it's not just something that you're hunting around in. It actually puts you takes you to the person or yes. the thing that you need yes. to talk to. And it's 
literally usually just one person that you need to talk to in this section where it's just like, hey, you know, this person isn't here. Maybe you should go over here to this other place and check out what they're doing. So mm -hmm. thankfully, it doesn't waste your time in, the, in that part because when that map screen came up, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> are you kidding me? Because like in in that very first part, you, you have this, it's the, uh, uh, what is it? The science or college, whatever the fuck it is, where you can actually walk around. There's different doors you can kind of right. go into. The university. Multiple levels. University. Uh, so there was that, and I was kind of figuring that every location was going to be like that. And and some of them do expand when, when the action st starts, but whenever you actually, you're doing the story boat, it just kind of takes you to where you need to go and talk to the person you need to talk to. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a huge relief on my end. So one of the things I really liked about this uh, after playing it more and and you kind of get a, um in the game there are these hints you can find like you'll you know you'll see like uh, some writing on the side of a wall and you read it and it's like oh we've, we've discovered hint number one and you can now go into the start menu and look up the hints and so the game does tell you this after you've already started but essentially there's the possibility based on that prologue of two different main characters there's Jennifer, who's the person you assume would be the main character, but that's not who I had the first time. The first time I started playing this game after the prologue with, with Professor Barton, I was Helen. And Helen mm. was going around the mm -hmm. town talking to different people, uh, trying to figure out what to do next. And then the first action section that's coming up was also Helen's action section. It wasn't Jennifer's. So, Billy, when you started this, and I guess Jeremy too, did you have Helen first or did you have Jennifer as your action character? I, I had Jennifer um, first thing. I had the blonde girl. Who was that? That's Helen. Helen. Okay, I had Helen. So the, the game changes pretty drastically in the story sections. The sections where you walk around talking to people, it's completely different depending on if you're Helen or Jennifer to how to get to the scenarios, the action sections that we're going to talk about, I promise, in one minute. Um, but yeah, if you, so I had Helen the whole time and I didn't realize until I found that first hint and looked at it that you even could be Jennifer as that section, you know, I figured you'd get to be Jennifer at some point or whatever, but no, if, if you, uh, essentially there's one person in the hallway you talk to, and if you talk to him more than once, then you're Jennifer. If you only talk to him once and keep going, then you're Helen. And so the, the game has different endings for if you play Helen the whole way through, or if you play Jennifer the whole way through, and it changes kind of the, the logic to the, the puzzles. The, the, the maps you go to are the same, and the end result of all the maps is essentially the same, but it changes how you solve certain puzzles. Like there, there's a, especially in the final scenario, which isn't a big castle, there are puzzles that are completely different if you're Jennifer than Helen. And the story obviously would change dramatically because you don't have this connection to the to the the, the, the first game if you're Helen that you do if you're Jennifer. Uh, it it completely changes a, a lot, but still uses the same maps and the same some of the same solutions. Uh, it, I, I just like the fact that you could even do that. So I didn't even realize until later on that I was playing as, essentially, I don't want to say right or wrong, I was playing as the Helen character, so I had a different story arc than I did when I played the second time through and I made sure I got Jennifer to see what the difference was. So that that's super cool that the game allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. But but the end result of the first explorations, or uh, not exploration, the first investigation sections with either Jennifer or Helen is you, you talk to a bunch of people and you really can't get anywhere because it's the end of the day. So you decide to go back to your uh, I mean, back to the university so that you can uh, either find Helen or, or if you're Helen's case, you're going back to the university to work on some actual work. And that's the first scenario section where you now run around in a, a multi-level office building 
And as you're exploring to try to figure out, because all the doors are locked and you can't get out, and you find a dead body pretty early on, that, you know, what, what are you supposed to do? And meanwhile, Scissor Man keeps showing up. It's not randomly necessarily, but it's definitely time-based as well. If you spend a whole lot of time doing nothing, it will start triggering it. And you'll it, what I liked about Scissor Man was either he will jump out of something. Like, if you go to search lockers on one floor, there's a chance that you'll open one of the lockers and Scissor Man will, like, jump out at you and slowly chase you across the room until you find a place to either hide from him, which there are a few mm-hmm. places you can hide, or there are ways you can... Not kill Scissor Man, but you can hurt him in such a way that he stops attacking you for a little while. Some of them are are extremely brutal. Some of the things are like you smash him in the face with a frying pan, or or <laughs> there's there's a, a character that has a gun that in one of the scenarios that you shoot him once and he runs away or whatever. But uh, other times, it's my favorite one was if if you go into a room with a bed, you can pull the sheets off the bed and you'll sit there and wait for him to run in. You throw the sheets over his head and he like doesn't know what to do, so you can run out of the room, like. <laughs> All of it is amazing uh, point-and-click adventure logic to all the, the solutions to how to get by Scissor Man. But it's not a uh, it's not a definite event in most places. Sometimes it does seem to be random, and it also is based on how long you're taking to figure things out. And he will show up, and there are places where you can get totally dead-ended and stuck, and there's no way to get away from Scissor Man. And essentially, at that point, go back and load from an earlier save, or you just have to start over from the beginning, which has got to be really, really painful. This is the point in the game where I was I was like, wow. Like this is really cool. I mean, it, it was some like some of the most intense stuff that I can remember from like a you know a survival horror game, and where even the the whole cursor mouse cursor thing did not get in the way, and, and it just it worked it worked really well, and the the whole thing of Scissor Man just being this little hunched over small dude with a big pair of scissors, and every time you know you can always hear when he's coming because he's always doing the, the scissor <laughs> scissor clip you know snip. Snip, snip, and it gets louder as you get cl- as he gets closer. But he's not so. I mean, you're, you're definitely afraid of him, but you can you know beat him in a in a variety of different ways, like you said. And it's always kind of fun to to see you know what you can do and how he's going to show up. Like in the first one of my favorites in the entire one or the uh, entire first scene was uh, you're in a computer lab yes. and he shows up in there. And like he's just walking forward and like he's doing his snip, snip. And on the computers, every time he does a snip, it says kill on the computer monitor for some reason. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. There's so many different ways he can show up. And it just made the whole game for me. I absolutely love uh, uh, Scissor Man. He, he's just he's the best part of the game by far. But and also just the different ways that you can get away from him. Because yeah. if you just want one on one. You can't really do much. He's he's gonna you know he's gonna shear you with the scissors, but you know if you got a fire extinguisher around, you can pick it up and wait for him to get there and and then spray him with it. Uh, or there's you know other sections where you know you can push a, a ladder over on him or beat him to death with a fucking lamp or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. just always fun to just you know hear him make that grunt just like, when he goes yeah. down, <laughs> and and then you just run the fuck away, just like get the fuck away from me. I, it's full on. Uh, it is full on, you know, scary movie tropes. Um, uh, and, and yeah, the ways you can fight them are great. I also love just the, the different ways you can hide also and how fucking tense it is. Uh, you can recreate that thing from movies where someone ducks into a uh, ducks into a bathroom, you know, and, and gets behind a stall door back to the door. Uh, and you're just hoping that the fucking sound of those scissors starts to die down. Uh, yeah, there's one part in the, mm-hmm. in the library, like towards the end of it, like where you're just, you can, I hid underneath the, uh, the, 
uh, the desk at the front, yes. front desk and just, you know, sit there and you just, you just <laughs> hear that snip go, you know, you can hear it. Like they do it so well. And I, I, it's just one of those things like this game looks like kind of shit, but goddamn, if it wasn't so intense, just sitting there and waiting you know, yes. for that, that scissor man to go by. Well, and I even like that there are places where you can hide that he calls you out on it. So like there's, yeah. there's a couple of places where like you can jump to a box or you can go into a wardrobe and he'll walk into the room and sometimes he'll walk around, start, you know, snip, 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 and then slowly turns around and walks out. And there's another time where he goes, walks around, snip, 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 and then he goes right up to where you are and shoves his scissors like through the door and kills you immediately. So there's even more tension with that, like, because he slowly comes in and looks around. You're like, oh, no, is he going to kill me or not? And mm-hmm. it's not the character's perspective. You're watching this on, you know, like like it's a, a third-person game. So you're watching him walk into the room while you're hiding in a closet and just spear you with the scissors. I, I mean, I, I thought that was super cool, and there were times where I thought it might be random to some level because uh, the game does you a little bit of a favor that if you die to Scissor Man, or find another way to die, because there are ways to die that don't involve Scissor Man, but most of them do, um, you can continue. And a lot of the time that gives you kind of a, a like a step before you made the wrong mistake. So if it's, mm-hmm. a, if it's a place where you can... You know, you didn't find the right place to hide or you you didn't even realize he was coming because your volume's down too low. Uh, you know, you can have a chance in that room to kind of do a few things before he comes in to see if you can save yourself. There are sometimes it's not enough and you load up and you're immediately at the at, at like you fall. There's in the third area, there's there's doors you open up and for no reason they go directly to the outside. Like there's <laughs> just a door to, to fall into your death. Uh, if you hit one of those, I couldn't figure out how you could possibly come back from those. You just continue and you watch yourself open that same door and fall to your death over and over again. So it, it doesn't do you a massive, massive favor. You definitely still want to make sure you save fairly often in these scenario sections. But they're also not extremely long. So the first scenario section, you're in a, thir- a three-story um, building in a university. There's a handful of doors in each floor, and a lot of them are locked, so you have to find the keys. It's very much point-and-click adventure logic to how to get through these puzzles. Uh, not, not extremely ridiculous. It's not like uh, a crazy Infocom game where you have to drag you know do all these crazy steps to solve the puzzles it's pretty cut and dry almost resident evil style but meanwhile you have to make sure you're you're avoiding scissor man he's not constant but sometimes like you'll just walk up to the elevator and hit the button to go to the next floor and he jumps out of the elevator and you have to run away and find a place to hide and hopefully you haven't used up all the hiding spots on that floor uh just little little touches that were fun but you get through that scenario by essentially escaping like the only goal of that is to teach you how scissor man works and to escape him and get out of that building and then you have another investigation section where you go through town and you talk to different people to try to figure out, um, you know, where, where this statue is, what happened to the statue that you saw earlier. And eventually it takes you to one of two places. Uh, and Billy kind of mentioned this. You have to remember who you gave it to. But mm-hmm. to be fair, I don't think the game – I mean, it, do, it does let you not get the statue, but I never – found a way not to take the statue. I, I don't know what I was doing, I guess, right. But, I, I, I mean, if you give it to the uh, Dr. Sullivan, who works at the museum slash library, you go to the library and, he'll, you know, there's a whole other level there uh, it, it, that, that you have to go through to get this statue back. Uh, essentially, the Scissor Man shows up at that area and, and you have to escape while finding the statue and getting out. Um, the other person it could take it to is this man, Rex, who lives in town. He was the butler for the Barrows Mansion, which is where the first game took place, uh, 10 years before the murders happened. But you figure, well, he might know something about the statue because he worked there. Let me go Let me go talk to him or whatever. So that in that, in that case, again, depending on if you're playing Helen already or if you're playing as Jennifer, that second section is either, if you go to Rex's house, either... Um, 
Nolan, who works for the newspaper, if you're Jennifer, or the detective from the police station, uh, Investigator Gotts, if you're playing as Helen. And if you go to the uh, museum instead, which I think you can only do as Helen, then you're playing as Helen. So it's cool that, they, again, you can get to this part of this this part of the game and essentially have played three different places that I may not have seen in my playthrough. And that's that's super cool. But ultimately, the only point of this first section and the first two scenario sections, other than because they're cool and, and it's fun to play through and run from Scissor Man, is to get the statue and get yourself from Norway, where you start this game, to the Barrow's Castle, where the Barrow's family came from in England. And hopefully that'll give you some connection as to who Scissor Man is and how to stop him. Again, the logic's not incredibly great, even in the game, explaining why you have to make that move. Uh, but that's how you get to the third scenario, which is the end of the game. It's a huge castle. Uh, I, I was... I guess not surprised. Uh, why is it that every single horror game uses the Resident Evil Mansion as the core idea for like the main, <laughs> the main entrance to the building? <laughs> they all have that same like you come in. There's doors on the main floor, and then there's a, a spiralish stairway, and there's doors on the second floor. This game does it. Um, I mean, I'm playing Castlevania 64, and that game does it. But then, yeah, there's plenty of games that I've played where you have that same mansion layout, and that's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's what all mansions look like. I've never been to a mansion that looks anything like that, but that, all the mansions in these games look the same. And and it's, again, it's a castle, so it's a little bigger. It has some internal areas uh, of the mansion that are open to air. It, it's a big mansion to explore, but again, much like the Resident Evil mansion, there's a lot of locked doors. you got to find out how to open everything. Meanwhile, you're you know trying to hide from Scissor Man. And at this point, if you've gotten this far and you have the statue, then... Essentially, if you fumble your way through here, you can get one of four different endings for Jennifer and one of four different endings for Helen. Uh, the, the fifth ending for both of them is if you don't have the statue. And again, I don't know how you get this far without having the statue, but, but it's possible. And if you don't have the statue, you can get that fifth ending here. Uh, the game here is essentially the last half of the game. I mean, the first, the first half is getting to this point, and this is the other half of the game. The game in total is maybe maybe two and a half hours long your first time through mm -hmm. and after that mm -hmm. like my second playthrough which i made sure i got jennifer i finished it in an hour and 45 minutes or whatever like it's not a long game and it does give you a lot of chances to save and kind of figure it out but the the order of events that have to happen to get the best ending for both of them is stuff that i don't know how i'd figure out outside of looking it up on game facts oh yeah yeah i um, i definitely i wanted to kind of get um an idea i played through one time just you know on my own uh i got what had to be a not so great <laughs> ending uh so yeah i did go through actually just to kind of see um a few different endings and yeah it, it, it's things um that that i found i did a couple of them but there there was always like one or two little details here where, yeah, it, it wasn't something I really would have thought to do. It wasn't something that seemed to me um, like it. Like, one thing is is um, making sure you pick up an oil can. Uh, you wouldn't think it would factor in very much um, into your, your endings, um, but it does. Uh, it, it's just little things kind of here and there um, that uh, it's going to be completely random, I think especially if you're playing through here, <laughs> what ending you get, uh, maybe for some people if, if, that are extremely detail oriented, you'll, you'll nail those endings. Um, uh, but no, for me, I was, I was getting some kind of endings that, that without spoiling suggested to me, they were probably not, 
uh, the happiest ones. They probably weren't the 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 best ones. Uh, so yeah, I did experiment a little bit uh, with some of the other endings. But yeah, I, I definitely had to look it up. This seems like one of those games. Like it, it was made because it wants you to play through multiple times. Like mm-hmm. there's there's so many different endings and and ways to play through and and different paths that you can take. That you know that was that was one of the big reasons this game was made. And I really appreciate that. It really kind mm-hmm. of reminds me of uh, Shadow of Memories on PlayStation 2 for mm. all two people that actually know what I'm talking about there, where like even like the most minute thing you could do uh, throughout the the game could change things, could change like where you go and, and how the ending plays out and, and who's there at the end. And yeah, the, you would think like the big, big sections would be like when the game asks you to make a choice where it's like yes or no. Yeah, like they're like that's it. That's the end all be all of your decisions. But it's not, you know. Like you said, it could be like if you talk to a person more than one time, if you pick up a random item, it can change everything completely, even as to like who you're actually playing. So that's really cool, and it really wants you to to play it multiple times. It's just a matter of if you can get past the tedium of these <laughs> of getting past these exposition scenes and yeah. and going th- and seeing how things change. But yes, I, I absolutely love just the the randomness. It seems is how these how the story plays out. I, I didn't mind that you have to have certain items because I'm used to playing these sort of games where you want to make mm-hmm. sure you have everything. That that didn't bother me. The things that that drive me insane and the things that I, I mean I don't know if I've ever would have gotten the A ending like the best ending for Jennifer except that I looked it up online because it requires you when you get to that last castle. To, to kind of go only specific ways to get to the same room. And it's mm-hmm. it's a castle mm-hmm. where there are multiple ways to get to the rooms you're going to. But if you take the wrong way, it doesn't make any sense, you know, story-wise, why you would go all the way back to the beginning and then go in this other door as opposed to a, a faster way. But if you take the faster way, you get to this room, and the person you need to talk to is laying there dead, and you can't talk to them. And therefore, you can't get this one item you need for the very end of the game. And, and it's... It, it doesn't explain it in any way. It doesn't say, oh, yeah, you have to go that way because it's it's a longer... Like, it would be one thing if it made more... If it was like, yeah, that I can go this other way, but it takes 20 minutes. As opposed to, like, the difference is literally, like, one way takes 30 seconds, the other takes a minute and 30 seconds. And it's not like it's a drastic difference, but the longer way is the right way. And it was just one of those, like, I, I don't think I ever would have figured that out. I think the first time I got there and he would have been dead, I was like, oh, that's, that's what's supposed to happen. Because there's other people you run into, and they're dead. And there's some people you run into, and they're not dead. And it, it's, I love the way it falls together. I, I mean, I really, really, really enjoyed playing this. Yes, the, the, the parts where you have to walk, uh, the parts you have to wait through people talking is painful. Thankfully, it's not voice talking, it's all text, but it's slowly moving text and it would wait a second and then you'd have to hit the button to go to the next thing and it was not not fast oh, at all you know the worst when you had to hit the button uh for one more word in the sentence yes uh it, it's just little things it is it's and to go back to the beginning uh jeremy talked to and i know where he was at exactly when he said this where he could get out of the room because he had to do one more thing um, I, it's just little things like that, the clicking on it to, to get one more word. And then the pause after that, you know, if, if, if I can't go out the door yet, don't make it an option for me. You know, don't let the, uh, the little, you know, cursor show up like it's I can do. Um, well, and, and some, and some things, once you've exhausted what you can do with them, uh, you don't get that option anymore. Uh, but other thing, it, it never goes away. Um, so you're kind of, and that's probably why I got Jennifer because 
my my cursor just kept showing up. So I just, I just kept a click and um, I figured maybe it would go away after I had done everything there was was to do on that particular item or that particular person. It's just little things. And that's, I mean, we're just nitpicking at this point in time. It's nothing um, that really put a damper on my um, enjoyment. If anything, it, it, it slowed me a little bit um, from jumping back in again. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, I know I'm going to have to clear out a few minutes to uh, get through this part again, and then we can really get down to it. Um, I absolutely love, um, I, I think, probably as soon as from that first Scissor Man encounter on, uh, I absolutely just have, have loved this game. Uh, and the prologue's not bad. The prologue actually, I think, sets a great tone um, and it, it, it kind of, you know, tells you, well, it uh, kind of tells you where you're at in the story. It gives you the basics. It gives you enough. And, and I think it's necessary. Uh, it's just, they're just, you know, just little things along the way in this game uh, that, that kind of grind on me a little bit. Uh, but nothing too bad. I, it's, you know, that, that prologue in the grand scheme of things is nothing, really. Even the yeah. exposition parts are yeah, just yeah. kind of, you know, but it... Man, what a horrible first impression this game gives. Because yes. I didn't know, you know, I was like, if this is what the rest of this game is, oh my God, this is torture. Yeah. But it's not that. But I do have, you know, whenever you, you are in the Scissor Man parts, there are sections where it can just be, you know, it really does seem like you are just at his mercy. You know, there's nothing you can do. Um, and you just kind of feel trapped. You know, you're just, mm -hmm. just going to have to continue. Also, there are parts here and there the library being the first big one for me anyway, where uh, items that you can get do not appear in the rooms until you have triggered a certain checkpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that's not a, so that's a problem because like you can go, <laughs> you can go in these rooms and you are, you know, you can look through them with a the cursor and everything and nothing is, is popping up. It'll yeah. just give you a, a vague description of what it is. This one was, uh, I need a screwdriver uh, for the vent. And the screwdriver was actually in a room that I had already been to and looked through this stuff, but it would not give me the screwdriver until I had triggered a certain checkpoint. But then I was lucky enough that it was the second room that I actually went back to and looked through that then the screwdriver would picked up. It, it was like, oh, here's a screwdriver in this drawer. But if you don't know where to go back through, then you're basically mm -hmm. just looking through the majority of the rest of this library hoping that you can find something and maybe not understanding that this will pop up, you know, this item will now show to you once you, once you hit this checkpoint, otherwise it's just not there. Yeah. So, but otherwise I think that's my biggest complaint with the whole thing. Uh, like, but otherwise, man, what, what is just so much fun to run for the scissor man and put this him through thing, torture. Uh, you would think, uh, you know, action sequences like that, fucking having to attack, having to hide, having to run in a point and click format wouldn't work. But I, you know, I don't think at any point in time, um, it works that, that this drag or anything like that. I, I, I would not have thought you could pull off, uh, parts or sections like that in the point and click game, but, but holy fuck, we did it. No, it works really well. And then there's parts that just, that, that are really super violent out of nowhere. Like, again, the library, the, uh, the I don't know, the head librarian or whoever the fuck he was, 
like stuck you know the the bell told up on mm-hmm. the tower and you went up there and he like stuck his head out to see what was going on and then i guess scissor man you know worked it so that the the fucking hands of the clock would come down and cut his head off and mm-hmm. it was, it was mm-hmm. great like there's just so many little things kind of like that out of nowhere that that just really make this game it it just it made me love it even past just to get past those exposition scenes and 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 run from Scissor Man and and do do all the various things from him and hide from him. It just that, and, that was and, great. And I gotta tell you, I, I was telling old Jeremy P today. I think this is the first game that let me uh, throw throw soap in a dog's eyes. I, I don't think I've ever had that experience <laughs> in video games before. <laughs> yeah, it's quite quite the solution. Uh, yeah, it's I, I loved this game. Once you get past the intro, which again I didn't hate, but after playing it. You know, my second time I was like, okay, if I could skip this intro, that would make my day. Uh, but, but otherwise, I mean, it's it's kind of ugly in parts, and the logic is very much movie style, almost like like a very edited movie where things that would have maybe explained things are edited out, and that's okay. Uh, it could be the <laughs> translation as well. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, and it's it's also a game where it's very unpolished in parts. Like there are definitely things where. Uh, you know, especially when you're trying to hide from Scissorman, you have the right idea and you're just not clicking in the right spot or it just doesn't give you the time you need or or you have to, you know, the fact you have to go up and use an item in your inventory and then drag it over and click on something, but other times you don't have to. Like, there's just lots of little things that are not not perfected that in this game, uh, you know, you have to get past that. But I think if you do, it's a really, really enjoyable horror-style game. It's not fast. It's not... You know, it's not like playing Left 4 Dead where you're just like constantly running from stuff and shoot. I mean, this is this is a much slower paced horror game, but I think that that when things are really going, when you're trying to hide from Scissor Man, you're not sure what to do. It's one of the most tense gaming experiences I've played, and and I really really like it. It completely won me over. I'll say mm-hmm. that much. I it, it could be maybe the the perfect equivalent or video game equivalent of being a a bad bad movie that's just great you know, on its own terms. Like it's, it's obvious it doesn't look good. The story is very just all over the place. There's too many characters to really follow, but goddamn, it, you just want to, you just want to see where it goes. Because it's just, it just kind of reminds me of those, you know, so bad it's good horror movies you know, around oh, yeah. Halloween that I watch. And this is, I think this is a perfect one to, uh, to not only play through, I, I think this is a great one to, to gather a few folks around. Um, this, this is definitely one of those that uh, I had a little bit of a crowd when I was playing through it myself. I think it's one of those that kind of lends itself to it. Um, and, and you'll be surprised uh, that there is, uh, you know, for, for some for some folks out there, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to name any names around my own home, but uh, it could get a jump or two out of some people. This game did fairly well. Uh, the the Super Nintendo one did well enough, obviously, to have this game occur. But even in the U.S. and and in Europe, this game sold well enough because uh, it kind of came out the same general time frame. Where Resident Evil people were looking for horror games, and so this came out and it, and it did pretty well. Uh, they did create a sequel. Human put out a sequel uh, in 1998 called Clock Tower Two: The Struggle Within. It had nothing. Uh, the the original designer, I guess, Hifumi Kono, had nothing to do with this at all. So. It is not a continuation of the same story. Um, apparently, it didn't do incredibly well. I played a little bit of it, and I think it actually fixed a lot of the uh, 
fixes a lot of the jankiness this game has, where I, I don't think it feels as unpolished. Um, it Apparently, the story goes completely insane, and it doesn't really feel as good as this game does uh, as a continue you know as a, as a contained story but uh, I didn't play enough of it to give you my honest opinion on two I think it did play okay from what I played and then uh, human closed in 2000 and sold the license to clock tower to Sunsoft and so Sunsoft and Capcom together put out clock tower 3 for the PlayStation 2 it is much more of an action game it still has puzzles, but it's it is a definitely a 3D action game as opposed to a, a point and click. Um, I, I did not try that. Apparently, it's it's been it did all right, but not great. That is the last Clock Tower game that came out was in 2002. Uh, there is a a pseudo sequel. Um, uh, Hifumi Kono had a crowdfunded game called Night Cry that came out in 2016 for computers and 2019 for the Vita, for the six of us that own a Vita still. And it's very, very much like Clock Tower. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of idea. Apparently, it also, uh, much like the, the most recent Shenmue, was one of those games where uh, if you really like Clock Tower, you'll like this. But if you didn't, you'll think it's incredibly dated and awful. So I, I have not tried Night Cry, but uh, apparently if you really, really like this game and this kind of game, Night Cry is a, a better looking version of this sort of thing, but plays almost exactly the same. Yeah, and, and I remember um, I, I'd, I'd have to get confirmation on why this died a death, but um, they were they there were talks of a film adaptation of this coming around. I remember that kind of in the early um, to early to mid two thousands. It seemed like it was uh, it was in the works, but obviously that that never never occurred. Uh, and may, maybe that's for the best. I, I don't know because I, but it would be interesting considering how much uh, this is kind of filmed like a movie. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that would have translated over or not. I mean, they probably still would have fucked it up like they usually do. As we mentioned at the start of the show, this was a patron-picked episode. Uh, thankfully, fit perfectly in our Halloween month. Uh, this was picked by Mike S, aka Big Mike, and welcome to the show. Hey, Jeremy. So, Mike, thank you for uh, for picking Clock Tower. It's a game we were looking for for uh, for our Halloween month. We were kind of looking for a few things, so I'm glad you you offered a game that would work out just well. That none of us had really played this specific version. So, uh, I know based on your your request to us, you have played it before. But did you ever play the original Super Nintendo game? Yeah, absolutely. I, I played the Super Nintendo game, but not till after I had played the PlayStation original. So, uh, you know, I played the PlayStation one. Um, that was my first Clock Tower experience. And then as I got older, I played the the one for the Super Famicom uh, through emulation down the road. Yeah, it's, it's definitely I'd never played the Super Nintendo one. I watched a, uh, you know, a full playthrough of it kind of after I got through this game, because uh not that it doesn't make sense. It's a it's a good self-contained story, but it kind of assumes you know a lot about the first game. Uh, and even just the intro, when you turn the game on, it shows you kind of the ending of the original game with that giant baby monster thing. And then you finish this game, and you're like, what the hell was that? That wasn't anywhere in this game. What, what did I miss? I obviously don't have all the endings, but, uh, but I, I, I did... Uh, play through this. Uh, we all actually finished it. I played through it twice. Uh, once so I could play one through once through as Helen, and then I did uh, with a lot of assistance uh, from a, a, a walkthrough uh, a Jennifer like final A ending. You know, I wanted to see it before I I talked about it. Um, but I, my first was a completely un you know unguided effort with Helen, and I got a, a C ending. So I don't feel too bad. I get, I didn't get the worst possible ending. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm impressed uh, even to get the C. I know the first first time I played, I think I got the E ending. Uh, you know, if you don't get the statue and you go to the wrong place, you know, you get the bad ending. I was going to be super impressed if you got an A ending without a walkthrough. Uh, yeah. Obviously, things get super obtuse there towards the end. 
yeah, we discussed that in, in detail, just how, how crazy the A ending is. You have to know to go to certain rooms at certain times to talk to people. And uh, in the case of even going back to try to find Barton to, you know, teach you that spell from the Latin you know, note you find, if you don't go to that room in the right direction, like you can get there two different ways. If you go the wrong way, he's dead when you show up. So you have to not only know where to go and, and figure that out, but you have to go the right direction. You can't just go the fastest way or the way that makes most sense based on where you are. Uh, so it's definitely a confusing game. I don't know if I would have gotten the A answer uh, without a uh, without a walkthrough, but I still think getting the C the first time through and and seeing most of the game, I mean, basically the, the C ending for Helen gets you to the very end of the game. You just don't see the actual yeah. end of the game. So I was no, pretty happy pat on the that. back for the C ending on the first go around <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a long go around and i did uh when you find the hints in the game that you can look at every time i died i would see if i earned a new hint to see what it said and that's how i figured out oh i can play as jennifer that's cool too i like that D did you play either of the sequels to this game Yes, I did. Uh, so um, big fan of this one. And so my friends, uh, when growing up, when we started playing this, we got big into the franchise. So when the second one came out, uh, well, I guess technically it's the third one, but released right. in the U.S. as Clock Tower 2. Um, I didn't want to punish you guys by making you go through that one. Um, it is a struggle throughout, <laughs> uh, but it is uh, I, I like it. I like it probably more than most people do. Uh, but if you thought this one was obtuse, that one is just kind of outrageous. Like it's, it gets very weird very quickly. Uh, and there's a scissor man, which I think is the main reason that I think the clock tower series is, is great. So, you know, no scissor man and, and a little bit more obtuse, uh, made it for not as fun of a playthrough in my opinion, as this game and, and the super Famicom one as well. Well, yeah, I, I don't know why I expected this to be an action game. I had never played any of the clock towers. So, you know, actually essentially it's a, it's a glorified point and click game, but with this, this tension of Scissor Man that's really hard to explain without, I mean, it, it's got the good tension of a, of kind of a slow burn horror movie where it's, you know, you, there's long sections where you don't see him at all. And you're doing just talking around town, trying to figure out what to do next. And then even when you get to the next place, you, you might explore a little bit. And then all of a sudden you hear those scissors come down the hallway and it gets louder and louder, or he jumps out from a, a locker or a closet or something. I mean, it, it, the way that it's structured is really, really good for, you know, if you like, uh, you know, like late 70s, early 80s horror, especially like Italian horror. This really does have that feel to it, which I really liked. So th this was one that, that was kind of a surprise to all of us. Not that we didn't think we would enjoy it, but, uh, you know, it starts out the very beginning of the game. The, the kind of just the parts where you're talking through everything and before you actually get to the first scenario. It's kind of a slog, uh, especially now. <laughs> Because there's no there's no way to speed up the text and the text is super slow. I was surprised it didn't talk. I wasn't mad that it didn't talk after playing some of the other uh, like Willie Beamish game where you couldn't not talk. I, <laughs> I appreciate text over talk in that in that aspect, but it was still like it's kind of a slog through that first 10, 15 minutes. But after you do, once you get to the first scenario, and, and that's what uh, what Jeremy had kind of talked about is like the game totally turns around. You're like, oh wow, this is really really cool. I, but I wonder how many people just like rented this or or checked it out, didn't even get that far. And was like, no, I'm this is not Resident Evil. I'm not interested in this at all. <laughs> well, it's funny that you guys say that because that's that was exactly my experience. Uh, you know, I I picked it up at uh, as many of us did at, at my friendly neighborhood Blockbuster as a kid. And uh, back then, you know, you didn't really have the internet to look up what games were like. You just kind of saw the cover and uh, I'd, I'd always kind of been into horror, but you know, my horror movie experience at, at that age was limited. Um, you know, my parents were typically fairly strict about what horror movies I could get, but they didn't quite pick up with the video game rating. So for whatever reason, clock tower slipped through the cracks and was able to pick this one up at blockbuster and uh, looking on the back, I, I thought it was going to be kind of a point and click. You know, I, I loved the old you know, Sierra computer games, a lot of the old point and click adventures. 
So I was kind of expecting that style. And then especially going through the, the prologue, the first first scene, you know, it's kind of slow. I thought it was going to be more of a murder mystery. And the first time that Scissor Man came out, uh, I was playing as Helen. And, you know, he comes out of the door, that, that first scene. I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't expecting to be chased by Scissor Man. Um, and Resident Evil had been kind of the only other game I had played where, you know, you at least had guns and, and a way to defend yourself. So until I could kind of figured out that you needed to hide or, you know, throw different things at him. Um, you know, it, it's hard to believe now with as bad the graphics are that it could scare you. But at that time when I was a kid, it terrified. Me. Uh, even now it has some good jump scares and, and the, just the, the kind of pacing of the game. Again, he shows up the fact that either he shows up out of nowhere and kind of scares you or you're in the middle of trying to get something done. All of a sudden you hear the scissors and you hear him coming closer. And you're like, oh, I got to get this stuff from real quick. I have nowhere to hide in this room. What am I supposed to do? I, I thought that was done really, really well. And I did try the, the sequel out after, after playing this, I, I tried a little bit of the sequel out. I think it plays a little bit better as far as literally the way the game moves and, and you know, the, the speed of everything is a little better, but uh, I didn't get far enough in the game to tell you that the story's uh, not as followable or, or really, really obtuse in the puzzles. I just thought it, mechanically it worked a little better from the start, but I, I will give that a shot. Cause I actually really, really enjoyed this glad to hear you guys liked it i wasn't sure it's uh it's definitely not a game for everyone so but it is kind of unique i think big fan of the show you know listen to you guys uh every time an episode comes out i think you guys are great i, I really like what you do with the show and i uh, just really appreciate you having me on well, well thank you and, and th- again thank you for your pick and and continuing to support us on our patreon because uh if it wasn't for for all the patrons we would probably run a little dry on things to talk about and, and games we wanted to discuss a couple years in so uh, again thank you and we enjoyed this one awesome glad to hear it Open the door and show me the way. So that's our thoughts on Clock Tower, a game that uh, that we had not played before. Uh, Billy had played a little bit, but the rest of us hadn't played before. An excellent addition to a, a Halloween-themed mm-hmm. gaming excursion. And it's a, another one that's short enough that even once you kind of know what to do, as Billy mentioned, it would be fun to play this around other people and, uh, mm-hmm. and either kind of give them hints or let them watch you play and, and see if they can figure out what's going on. So that, that's a good one. And thank you again to, to Mike S. That's a great choice for us uh, as a pick for this year's Halloween Festival. Uh, you know, if you are sitting around your house, you're listening to this episode, or driving off the road because you heard Billy's boo at the start of the show, <laughs> and while you're waiting for the, the tow truck to come, you think of a question you want us to answer. You're like, how could I get these guys to answer your question? You're in luck. If you go to Retrovania.net, not only are there links to all of our social media sites and, and you know this podcast and other things, there's also at the very bottom a question form, the spookiest question form on the internet, in fact. You can ask questions to us, and we will answer them on the show like we're going to do right now. Yes, we will do that. And boy, howdy, do we have quite the <laughs> amount of questions today. I wonder what uh, they're about. I wonder as well. So uh, put on your favorite train conductor hat and strap yourself in woo because woo! it's question time. Yep, we're going to run a train on the, this email section. <laughs> oh, Just boy. like Mikey used to do with the Ace Hardware. First question here is is from It's Your Boy, Big, Big Bad Sperm Daddy. Oh, and uh, he's he's writing in about actually not what you'd think ghouls and ghosts and cash. What? All right, okay. Uh, now I'm into this. Let's go okay. for it. So uh, our latest bonus episode was ghouls and ghosts, and and this is uh, based on that. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, wants to know what those mouths do, my dudes. <laughs> 
Your discussion of Super Ghouls and Ghosts reminded me of a stunt I used to pull in the early 2000s. I would frequent the original Barcade in Brooklyn, New York. When there, I would bet my assortment of accompanying friends that if they could beat the first stage of Ghouls and Ghosts, they could have all the cash in my pockets, usually a sum of around $200. Many tried and all failed, but one came a little too close for comfort, and I dropped the stunt from that point forward. <laughs> I also used to play Strangers in Soul Calibur on the arcade for a few bucks back in the day. Anyway, here's my question. Have any of you fine gentlemen ever played video games for money, either through a bet or a challenge. Looking forward to hearing your answers. Play and review the Outfoxies, the Outfoxies, you cowards. Best always, Kyle Von Kubik. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> man, I, I, I want to hang out with somebody that, that has $200 on their person at any given point in time. Can't hide money. Um, but no, I am pretty smart with it. I, I know there are only a few games uh, where my money would be secure. Uh, that being said, I have, um, both in my youth and uh, at the arcade, and even uh, you know several years ago when it came back around at home, I have put a little bit of money on NBA Jam before. Uh, I, I just feel that is a, a safe, safe bet for me. Uh, and yeah, we would do that uh, at the arcade. It was usually tokens. Um, you know, that, that we would play for, things like that. Um, of course, if it's the fucking roller skating rink, that thing took quarters, and people had uh, cash money on them, and it changed hands a few times. Um, but probably the most, uh, and I had a particular group of friends, we would get together most weekends, uh, and there would be, you know, slight to moderate drinking involved, and we would usually throw down uh, nothing significant, but a little bit of money here and there. Go kart. Uh, usually double dash. We would go. We would do sixty four every now and then. Um, you know, we would we would even do the original for Nintendo Kart. Uh, but double dash was the one that was out, the new one at that time. So so we did a lot on double dash, and I, you know my pockets always always a little heavier. Uh, I, I don't think ever lighter when, when we did that. You know, as the biggest degenerate on the podcast, I assumed I would be, this would be up my alley. I like to bet money on things I have no business betting on, but I have never actually bet money on oh. my own playing of a video game. I'm not counting video poker. That doesn't count. Um, I've, I've done my share, fair share of that. But just not, I've never been uh, good enough at a game to feel like I could challenge strangers for money. Um, I've definitely played games with, with friends where, like, we'll have everyone come over and do, like, a tournament and whoever loses has to buy everyone pizza. That doesn't count, I don't think. But I, I've never done, like, yeah, I'm going to go to the arcade and be like, hey, you want to play me in Street Fighter? Five bucks. Because I would be five bucks <laughs> poor in about 32 seconds. I, I never played with uh, money, but me and my cousin used to always bet our comic book collections on uh, certain matches of, like, Street Fighter 2 or, or whatever fighting game we would play at the time. You know, there was always this this stack of comic books that always contained, you know, stuff, not, not anything crazy, but like spawn number one or something like that. Just a, you know, a little, little stack of what we would consider collectibles back in the nineties. And we would bet those, uh, you know, against each other as to who, who could win the, these matches against which characters. And, but that's as far as I ever got as I never actually used money because I'm kind of like Jeremy P. I never thought I was good enough at a certain game to bet money on something. Uh, but yes, uh, what do you guys think about out, out foxies? 
we ever going to cover that? It, it was actually requested by, I'm pretty sure, this same person uh, in the past. Okay. <laughs> it is an arcade fighter. Um, and I could have used it for Fight Month if I thought that ahead. But since Fight Month, I've been afraid to do any fighting games. So maybe someday we'll do Out Foxies. <laughs> Uh, it is. It is. I. I did try it, uh, and because we have uh, a way to play some arcade games here and there. Uh, it, but it, it doesn't normally fall in our our window of what we normally cover. We have not covered an arcade game yet. Uh, not saying I wouldn't do it, but uh, but it just has not been something I've thought about. All right. Well, thank you, Kyle, for writing in. And our next email comes in from K, aka Mason. It's been a while since we heard from Mason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's usually got some some pretty fun stuff to say. Uh, and he's writing in to talk about his new band. Hey, guys, I've started up my new band. I was hoping I could get a shout-out on the podcast. Jump on SoundCloud and check it out. We're Seaman Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Next question comes did, in Did you Davey actually Harper. check to see, is that really a band, Seaman Grandpa? I, <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks, right. Kay, for writing in. Uh, next next question comes in from Davey Harper, and he writes he's writing about NES adventure games. Greetings, lads, all the way from sunny Scotland. Mm. I really enjoy the show. Always enjoy a trip back down memory lane when you talk about these old games, and y'all do it so well. Such an entertaining podcast. Well done, and thank you. My question is, what what are each of your three favorite adventure games for the NES? Oh boy, well, are I there mean, enough I, for us I, to each I, have different lists? <laughs> Man, that, that's it's tough. Um, you know, I, I think I, I would be hard pressed to not put that original Legend of Zelda um, oh. at the top of that list. I um, misunderstood. I thought he meant graphic adventures, like point and clicks. I was like, "There's really only like ten. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you mean just general adventure games? Just adventure adventure games? Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then, then uh, what? You're 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 right then, Billy. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think for for anybody growing up with the system, uh, you know, that original Legend of Zelda has to at least rank up high. Uh, if it's not top three, it's it's close. But for me, definitely uh, that first Zelda. I think I got us to play uh, Star Tropics on here, which was which was another um, adventure game on the NES. I, I just I absolutely love that one. Um, and God, if I had to round it out, I'm thinking about adventure. I'm sure this probably factors in. Uh, if you'll count it, that original Ducktales. I mean, fucking, you're, you're globe trotting in it. That's a lot of adventure right there. Uh, those are two of my uh, three favorite. I, I you know, I, Zelda is definitely in the adventure category. I'm assuming the other ones are as well. But that, if I just sitting here right off the top of my head, those are uh, probably the three. Uh, you know, really adventure heavy games that I clock the most time into. I'm not even sure what qualifies as an adventure game at this point. Uh, I, I mean, Zelda, I can't not put in. I know that Billy just did, but it's one of the best games of all time. Uh, so I'd have to say the original Legend of Zelda, not the second one, but the original one. Uh, Crystallis by uh, by SNK mm. for the NES is one that I've played over and over again. I've tried to get us to cover, and we have not for some reason. <laughs> uh, but that, that's a good one. That's, a, that's an excellent adventure game. Uh... I mean, does a game like like Metal Gear count? I'd be yes. Dead. Yes. I would put Metal Gear in that category then. I know oh that my. there are some faults with it. Uh, some people don't care for the NES Metal Gears. I personally have many, many great memories of playing the original 
um, the original Metal Gear. And, and I know that it's very, very frustrating, especially if you don't have the manual. There's things that are almost impossible because they give you those those like uh, maze codes in, in codes in there. I, I love the original Metal Gear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if, if it counts, I'm using it. That's my third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably go with uh, Metroid as one of my favorites mm. of all time. Mm. I recently found my NES player's guide that came with console uh, not too long ago and was looking through it. And in the Metroid section, there's just so many codes written down, level codes or whatever written down by me and my dad and stuff like that. And it's just a lot of great memories of, of playing that game and, and exploring. I, I think that would qualify as an adventure game. Uh, maybe more, uh, I don't know, it, I guess Maniac Mansion would obviously yeah. be a, a great choice for that. And I know it's not great on the NES, but I always really enjoyed the Uninvited. Uh, and mm. if you want a, a good a good Halloween kind of adventure game on the NES, check that one out. If not, be, it, there, there's a skeleton on the front of the cover. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I, that was the reason I rented it back in the day, and I always, I always really enjoyed it. So, um, I think it's probably best to play it on the PC or like good old games or something like that. But it, it's you know, it works on on the NES. Uh, so, thank you, Davey, for writing in mm-hmm. from up in Scotland. I don't, I don't know if we have too many, too many people writing in from Scotland. So that might be our first. Anyway, our next question comes in from Scarcrow, and he just wants to say thanks. You guys have inspired me to stop drinking and do something with my I know. life. <laughs> I wish I, I've gone the opposite. We, I know. <laughs> maybe he'll maybe maybe you'll inspire us. I know this has inspired me to drink more. Uh, I have ne- I've gone back to doing something more. Ah, hold on. I've gone back to doing some more YouTube stuff, and it feels great. I was in a dark and scary place for some time. Thanks for pulling me up and out of there. You guys keep on staying awesome. Uh, thanks, well, thank you. I mean, if you've got a YouTube oh. channel or something like that, feel free to to send it over, and uh, you know, we'll we'll throw it up on maybe like social media or something. But guys, we inspired somebody. Well, that's great. I mean, that's 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 great. I mean, I, I I can relate. I mean, I think we all have our our little forms of of media, whether it's a show or uh, something. We play them half the time as you know, kind of a, a way to kind of perk up. So uh, it's awesome uh, if. If the three of us just uh, talking about video games partially, coherently uh, helped you out, uh, glad we were there to help out. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's good to hear that people uh, not not just enjoy the show, but hey, maybe it motivated you. Uh, even if it's just, if these clowns can do it, so can I. That's great. I'm glad <laughs> you're out doing something else. Uh, this has been, uh, you know, we've been doing this now for five years, and we've been doing internet stuff for far longer than that. But, I, I mean, it's a good outlet. I, I enjoy doing it, and I'm glad people enjoy hearing it. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really awesome. You know, if we had anything to do with that, cool. <laughs> it's far more than I ever expected us to, to do for anyone doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yes, thank you for writing in Scarcrow. Uh, next question comes in from Grumpy Dump. Oh, and, uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh he's he's writing in to say this is not a food question unless i was very late to the podcast trend and had just started listening to them earlier this year retro mm-hmm. gaming had been something i'm very into and i looked it up and picked three at random i started listening and once an awesome punk rock theme started playing i knew right then that i chose the correct one and then learned one of the members is from indie broad ripple represent 
It was fate, and I began to binge listen. First, I want to say, Jeremy P., I really dig your band, and have you ever played or have interest to play, once things are back to normal again, Punk Rock Night at the Melody Inn? I think that would be a good audience for you. By the way, Jeremy P., that is uh, a venue here in Indy. I believe it's up in Broad Ripple. Uh, but the real question, it's about music and games. Most would ask about game soundtracks, but what I want to know is, do you guys have any outside mu music that you equate to any games? For example, back in the day, it wasn't always necessary to listen to a game due to lack of any dialogue, and I would often put on a record or CD while playing. I still can't play Twisted Metal 2 or Rampage without thinking about Screeching Weasel, Anthem for a New Tomorrow, or Vandal's Live Fast Diarrhea, or vice versa to name one. It may be a dumb question. I don't know. Anyways, love the podcast and sorry for the long message. I am. Um, I yeah, uh, there were a lot of games that uh, either due to kind of uh, sound limitations. I'm not going to name what systems might have had those or just, you know, just kind of a repetitive soundtrack or a game you, you played to death and you kind of heard it enough. Yeah, I uh, kind of did the the my own soundtrack thing. Several times, um, I, I, I could name a lot. One game uh, that, that brings up the, the most memories for me, uh, and, and I want to preface this by saying, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was the 90s. Um, my cousin was over uh, on, on December 23rd, and I usually did one early Christmas gift on Christmas Eve, but since I had company, uh, my parents, uh, they gave me one a day ahead. You know, they, they let me do it on the 23rd while he was there. Uh, and it's a crapshoot, though. Like, they, they, they were lenient in that, but also, uh, you know, I, I went and picked a gift. Uh, that, it could have been some clothes. And, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, am I going to sit on there and sit down there and try on these new clothes for my cousin or something? Um, fortunately, what I unwrapped uh, for the Nintendo 64 was San Francisco Rush. And we proceeded to play the shit out of that game that night. Uh, and we played the shit out of that game, uh, once again, 90s, to a, a combination of, uh, of Marilyn Manson and Insane Clown Posse. Uh, the, the, the Marilyn Manson album was Antichrist Superstar, I believe. The Insane Clown Posse album was uh, Ringmaster and Riddlebox. And we had the three of those uh, just kind of playing nonstop. And it got to the point to where uh, we played San Francisco Rush a lot. Uh, you know, there were all those little shortcuts to try to unlock and things like that. Uh, and, and it was pretty competitive. And, and that just kind of became uh, the soundtrack for it. So, uh, yeah, there, there are games, a lot of games where I was playing outside, you know, music for them. But, but that's one that comes to mind. If I put in that San Francisco rush to this day, uh, that uh, soundtrack would probably uh, be pretty firm in my head. I did, I did a lot of uh, making up my own soundtrack for when I played EverQuest and when I played... World of Warcraft. I mean, the, the music in those games was, was fine for what it was, but, you know, if you're going to spend 8 to 10 hours a day playing those games uh, like a crazy person, which I definitely was, you would find other things to be your background music while you're uh, doing things that aren't like raids and stuff, right? During a raid, I would probably have, have everyone else on 
um, on some kind of chat program so we could talk. And, and I wouldn't have a bunch of music playing in the background, but for just soloing stuff and just sitting there or fishing or whatever dumb thing I did, yeah, I played a bunch of stuff. That There are definitely albums I, I own when I listen to them. It makes me think of, oh, yeah, I remember when I was sitting you know, outside of the Ice Giants Fortress. Like I, <laughs> I have a lot of those. Uh, you had mentioned Screeching Weasel in your, your letter or your letter in your email and uh for me it was that basically like the first three scared of chaka albums uh, was ones i listened to nonstop uh during that time frame and, and i listen to them now and i still get flashes of different games so yeah definitely that there were there were definitely games like that uh it got to the point though where i i couldn't i i didn't like switching over like so i was playing these on vinyl for some of these so i would you know I had to like take a break every 15 20 minutes and and switch sides to the record or even a cd at that point because i'm not using um Winamp or something else back then because I'd be using my computer to play these other games. So I would have to put it on a CD and then take it off. I would get tired of looping out of things that were half an hour or so. So I started just watching movies that I could put on repeat. Uh, so there are, there's a whole, uh, the, the Ice Crown expansion for World of Warcraft was me playing World of Warcraft and watching Spinal Tap over and over again. <laughs> Literally, I would just let it repeat. And I, I mean, I would, it didn't matter what point it was on the movie. I would turn over and pay attention to it. And I would be able to like talk along to the whole movie and sing along to all the, the terrible songs. I love Spinal Tap. It's amazing. But that, when I watch Spinal Tap, I still think of everything I did in Ice Crown. And when I <laughs> look at any Ice Crown pictures, I think of Spinal Tap. So yeah, I, I've had other medias that do that. To answer your other question on would we play Indianapolis, we certainly would. Uh, we're not playing anything outside of our own area anytime soon due to COVID. Um, uh, two out of three of us uh, have have regular jobs. It's hard to leave anyway. But even if we did take off time, it's just right now is not a good time for any venue uh, anywhere. So we're, we're not going to travel anytime soon. But when we do, we'd gladly play uh, in Indianapolis. Why not? We've played Chicago. We've played in Detroit. I, I would love to play uh, further out west than the, you know the East Coast where we normally play. Yeah, that'd actually be pretty cool. Uh, you know, Jeremy was here last year. You know, we were at the, uh, uh, it was one of these arcade bars that we were at. And, and you know, I also, Melody Inn is just north of downtown. It's not in, not in a Broad Ripple. But, yeah, that'd actually be pretty cool uh, if, you'd, if you'd come here and, and check it out. Uh, but as for me, I think, I you know, the, my favorites was the uh, the hack that you could do with PlayStation games. Where I don't oh, know if you yeah. this, where you could, like, load up the game and then take mm -hmm. out the, the CD and then put in a music CD yes. and, and that would play. Uh, Ridge Racer, of course, had that advertised on the back of the box or the instructions, I think. But there, there were other games where, you know, these, these games weren't very big at, at certain points where you could actually, you know, load up a level, take out the CD, put in a music CD, and it would actually play while you were playing on the PlayStation. And that was mind-blowing to me back in the day, and I did that with just about any game I could. Of course, it got tiring for any game that was like, okay, we need, we need to load new data. Now put your other, put the game back in, quit being crazy. But I did that, and then I also did uh, probably the, okay, yeah, Final Fantasy VII. I thought it was Final Fantasy VIII, but it was Final Fantasy VII. After me and my cousin beat it, I had written down, I'd went back through all the different scenes and then wrote down certain songs or, or whatever to play in those scenes or whatever on top of the music or whatever. And it, it sounds stupid, but you know, that's, we had a lot of time back in the day and I thought that would be pretty cool. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of new age tracks and Inya being played over the, <laughs> over the top of, oh. uh, yeah, I know. Uh, over the top of Final Fantasy VII. Which, get, that, you know, get that Pure Moods album out. That, literally that. I had the Pure Moods album uh, with that. 
So that was, yeah, I did that. That's that, I think that's the one I remember most, plus those PlayStation 1 games. Thank you, Grumpy Dump, for writing in. Uh, it's always good to hear from a fellow Hoosier. And our next question comes in from Mark. He's writing in about licensed games. I know we can all come up with examples of bad video games based on licensed proper properties. I recently heard people discussing that Chronicles of Riddick on the Xbox was better than the movie. That got me th thinking... Are there any other licensed games that actually outdo the source material? Of games we've covered, Judge Dredd, 100%. And, and I would say, despite the fact that I love the original movie, Goonies 2 is a better game than the movie. Mm. I, um, God damn. That's tough. Um, <laughs> that is tough because the games I can think of um, that I, I, I think some of the best adaptations. Ooh. You know, I fucking, I, not a big James Bond guy, uh, but goddamn love Goldeneye and, and will contend because I've seen it. I've seen the damn film. I'll contend that game, uh, I, I think was at least for me a lot more enjoyable, uh, than the film. And, uh, and it wasn't a bad little movie, but that damn Scott Pilgrim video game, <laughs> just, it, it keeps coming up and it's fucking, and it's fucking coming. Um, but yeah, that game just uh, the movie's enjoyable enough, but the game is a cut above um, as far as you know license uh, and I don't even know if that really counts because it's kind of a, a comic adaptation. I'm counting it. I think I, Goldeneye was a was probably the best answer to be honest because yeah, that game I mean, that game is. I mean it was a, it transcended what the movie was. I mean, it was was fine. Yes. It's a Bond movie. It was great, but the multiplayer aspect of that game for most people. Yeah. If you told them they only have one one N sixty four game, that's the one they're picking. And I, and I think the the true testament is this: I could round up uh, three other guys to come over here and play Goldeneye. Um, I, I don't think I could round up another person to come watch Goldeneye. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Goldeneye is probably the best best answer for that. Um, God, from would the would the South Park games count? Not the you know I'm, not, I'm not the not the sixty four ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a masterpiece in itself. But uh, you know, something like the Stick of Truth, and, and something like that. I think those are like genuinely as good or better than most South Park episodes. But I guess the one that I can really think of that I enjoyed far more than I did the movies was uh, Wolverine or X Men Origins. Wolverine. Oh, well, that's 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 a low bar though. That game is hilarious. And I beat it, and it was it was the R-rated Wolverine movie that I never got mm. in the theater because it's just it's all these ridiculous action scenes where like you know he's just ripping people apart with his his claws and jumping through helicopter windshields and and or cockpits and just <laughs> killing people <laughs> and watching him just get completely torn apart and and like seeing like his. You know, you're just running around basically as a, a Wolverine skeleton at times, watching him reform. It was, it's bad, but it was, I, th I thought it was actually really cool. I, you know, it was just dumb fun. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of fun getting all the, the, the achievements in that game back on the Xbox 360. But anyway, thank you for writing in, Mark. And next question comes in from Big Mike. And Big he wants Mike. To say, Big Mike. <laughs> He's uh, wanting to ask what our most beaten game is. He's like, hey, guys, I know many of us have games that we like to go back to over and over again. Which retro game would you say you've beaten the most times? 
For me, it's probably Resident Evil 2 or Mega Man 2. Interested to hear which games you've Interested to hear which games ass you've kicked the most over the years. Thanks for taking my question and keep those sweet, sweet episodes coming. Big Mike. Mm. Big Mike. Well, uh, that's an easy one for me because uh, it's a game I replay uh, every year at least once. Uh, and that's that uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past on Super Nintendo. I will, you know, over the, the course of a couple it depends on how much time i have usually over the course of a couple days we'll sit down uh and and just replay through that one and it's one of those things where it's gotten if if i want it to be a quick thing then it is uh if i want to stretch it out and kind of you know just uh i'll do different runs uh do different things i'll try to go without using certain items unless absolutely necessary uh and just do all that shit like that um but no, that is a game that I definitely have probably played through the most because I take into account how long that thing's been out. Uh, the, the sheer number of times I played through it initially and the fact that I'm going through at least once or twice a year to, to kind of knock it down again. Yeah, I, I've, I've thrown a little bit of time into that one. I'm trying to decide if it's either, because I don't keep tallies of these things. Uh, it would either be Kid Icarus on the Nintendo or Goonies mm. 2, which I just mentioned, on the Nintendo. I play those fairly frequently. I'd say I, I easily play through them start to finish uh, at least once a year, and I and I start them many times over then. Uh, you know, if I'm just bored, I'll just play a few levels of Kid Icarus here and there. I, I love that game. Um, it's got to be one of those two. I was thinking maybe it was River City Ransom because that's another one I've beaten a lot because I'll play it with so many different people and play through from start to finish. But, but I think overall it's it's either Kid Icarus or Goonies two. And and if I have to give it to one, even though I just talked about how much I love Goonies two, it has to be Kid Icarus. I guess for me it would probably be the original Castlevania on the NES, mm. and then a close second would maybe be Symphony of the Night. I've I've played both of those games to death, and Symphony of the Night for me is still one of those games I will pull out towards the end of the year every year and just start and play through for a couple of days and just beat it. Mm -hmm. I won't try to like do 100% or anything like that, but it's just, I don't know, that game to me is just a comfort game. I can, I can pull that out, and it's just, it's a game that I can play and have fun with every single time. Mm -hmm. It's just timeless all these years later it's still just as fun as it was when i played it back in the day so yes thank you big mike big mike big mike. <laughs> and our second to last question comes in from mike james and he's writing in about a new book about the coleco chameleon video game system dear jeremy's and billy big mm -hmm. fan of your work especially your recent podcast discussing tomb raider I'm asking for a little help from my fellow gamers and media folk and feel like it could be a good fit for your audience. I've written a book titled Smoke and Mirrors, the result of 23 hours of interviews, 10 years, of, 10 years in the making, and two years of writing. The book is 600-plus pages of journalistic investigation into the $2 million crowdfunding scam and a roller coaster oh, of a ride through the life of the man behind it, Mike Kennedy containing never-before-released emails, text messages, and behind-the-scenes accounts about, about Retro Magazine, the Retro VGS, and the Coleco Chameleon. This book is the definitive account of the whole story. 
Smoke and Mirrors is launching a Kickstarter campaign for assistance with legal fees and to publish the official book about, about the retro VGS Coleco Chameleon story. We are targeting a launch in the first week of October. With the Kickstarter funds, we will appoint a legal team to ensure that the content of the book is not actionable before we complete a final revision of the manuscript for publishing. If you're interested, I love a mention of Smoke and Mirrors, the writing of the book, and the subject matter combined within. I'm happy to discuss the book for video or podcast as well. I appreciate your support in promoting our Kickstarter and would be happy to send you a preview sample of our book. Thanks for taking the time to check us out and helping us continue to put put together the book that helps to document an interesting piece of history for the hobby we all love, like James. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds fascinating. Uh, that That's definitely... Uh, you know, when he started talking about, uh, you know, scams, I thought he was talking about that, you know, that new Atari system they're they're trying to put out there. Um, but yeah, I, that definitely uh, sounds like good reading to me. Right, well, while, while you were reading that, while Billy was answering the question, I, I just wanted to check online to see. And yes, the Smoke and Mirrors Kickstarter, uh, the, the book that Mike James had written to us about, is already funded. It has the funding it needs oh, to get the minimum, shit. which is great. Uh, I, I know that we get these emails you know, within the two weeks since we post the previous to now. And since the time he sent that to us, this has become fully funded. That said, this is the kind of book nice. that if you're interested in, you know, we, we've talked about make fun of the uh, the Atari box and all these other things that keep showing up that never actually come to fruition. The Coleco Vision uh, that, that was supposed to come out, the Coleco Chameleon, actually was the name of it, is is one of those that it, it, it had prototypes that were sent to, to trade shows and people realized that they were just plastic shells with nothing in them. I mean, just fascinating, uh, you know, I don't want to say it was intentional fraud at the start. Maybe it was all well-intended with people that couldn't deliver on their promises and were, were sure they could figure a way to make it work, and it didn't. Who knows? But this book and these interviews are going to kind of clarify that. I'm definitely interested in it. I would love to read this book. So if, you, if you're interested in, in kind of seeing how this the, these retro hobbyists that, that kind of take it too far, or maybe uh, maybe it is a total scam from the start to finish, I don't know, but you want some inside looks, uh, Smoke and Mirrors is the name of the book. You can find it on Kickstarter if you just search Smoke and Mirrors. And, uh, and apparently, yes, it's already funded. So if you're interested, it's guaranteed to come out, unlike the Coleco Chameleon. <laughs> and I, I think the Atari VCS is finally maybe getting shipped to backers at this point. Oh, Speaking boy. of things that, that mm -hmm. probably are scams, but we'll, we'll see if that, that actually gets to people. Uh, but thanks, thanks, Mike James. He is also the co-host of the Retro Gaming Roundup podcast. So if that is something that interests you, then maybe you want to check out that podcast. And finally, our last email of the night comes in from uh, this fellow called Holly Billiday. What? <laughs> and this is, oh. uh, he's, he's writing him in, in about shitting yourself at work. <laughs> and uh, well, This he, is something. I, you know, I, I don't know this person, but I instantly think we should probably listen to him. Read that for me. All right. He says, because I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with the contents of it. All right, he says, can you guys tell me about that time that that guy shit himself at work? <laughs> Ball a day. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to our last two episodes, you probably should. Uh, two episodes ago when we covered uh, the, the the adventures of Willie Beamish, there was a, a mention of a character in the, the game that Jeremy had said was Seaman Grandpa, and we thought that was incredible. And then we got a bunch of questions about Seaman Grandpa, and a lot more came out last episode uh, when we talked about Beavis and Butthead, uh, where some more 
uh, of the truth of the, the person that reminded Jeremy of Seaman Grandpa, or I guess of the Grandpa in, in Willie Beamish, well, was, a, was a man he actually worked with. And he had mentioned he was going to, to someday tell us the story about the time he had shit himself at work. <laughs> and apparently our listener, uh, what was his name? Her name, Holly their name? Billiday. Holly Billiday. Very familiar to me, but not. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why. Wants to hear this story. who that could possibly be. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're, I, I will tell this story, but let's go ahead and just end this podcast. <laughs> we're going to be at a two-hour podcast solely for yeah. this story. I'm very excited. Well, let's, let's go ahead and shut down the podcast, and if you want to come back and, and hear this story, we will be here at the end of the credits, and mm. this story will be here because this is just completely outside the realm of, of video games and things like that. So, so what you you're saying about- is if you want to hear the story, we're going to finish this episode. We're going to play yeah. the outro music to Clock Tower, and then perhaps there will be a story at the end of that. Yes, if you. Oh, wanna, this is like it's like one of the Marvel movies. Yeah, this is your your hidden ending for the podcast. So just stick around if you have any interest in Seaman Grandpa taking a shit on himself at Ace Hardware, uh, and and we will we will let that we, I will tell that story finally. And you know, actually, this is a good time to bring up to everybody that at the end of every episode after the music fades, I have stories put there. So you need to now go back and listen to every episode to see if I'm telling the truth or not. Uh, so thank you for, <laughs> for all these questions. And if you're interested in that story, perhaps you want to hear the end music to Clock Tower that's going to play in a moment. But until our next episode, if you're looking for more amazing Retrovania content, don't forget if you go to Retrovania.net, there is a link there to not only all of our, our podcast uh, episodes, except for the bonus shows you can find on Patreon, but also link to that Patreon. A link to our YouTube channel with some amazing videos, including some Halloween-related gaming videos, uh, and of course all our social media sites and the question form that you can use to send us questions. So check those things out, and we will see you again in two weeks with our final Halloween episode of 2020, which is going to be incredible. And perhaps there's a story coming up after the music we're going to play now, and we'll see you next time. I'm ready for this. I it's been a long time since I've heard this. <laughs> so we've already established that Mikey is the dirtiest old man on the planet, and he just you know he's definitely this older guy. He's around early nineties, whatever. Used his prostitutes <laughs> for his own. You know he he let them stay at his place basically on the on the terms that you know their rent was them having sex with him basically he was a terrible person so i don't mind telling these stories because mikey was a bad guy he was just he was a dirty old bad man but he was kind of lovable in his old you know kind of grandpa <laughs> way you know you just kind of gravitated to him because you know he'd tell you some funny shit so i worked with him for probably i don't know it was about a year and the last time that i ever saw him was one day at work 
we were just kind of sitting around. It was a slow day. I was sitting at the back of the store playing solitaire on the work computer. And he had told me, he was like, you know, it's kind of in the morning time. So he's like, I'm going to go up front and finish my McDonald's breakfast. He got his, he, every morning he came in with a McDonald's big breakfast. So he, I was like, sure, go ahead, do what you want. So he got up there and, and like, I saw him stop and I start, I saw him start to talk to someone. And then he just looked back at me, glaring at me. Mm. I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And so I saw him start coming back up. And behind him was a very large black man. And he was taking him to a certain aisle. And before I can say this, I need to tell you about what it's like working at Ace Hardware. Anytime someone comes in, it, most of the time, I would say 90 or 80, 90% of the time, people don't know what they want. They just want you to take them on a vision quest, basically, of what they think they need. They're going to tell you, I have a problem here, and I need you to kind of, these are the things I think that may be wrong. So uh, taking you, you would basically take them around the store in like a tour of being like, all right, is this something you need? Okay, is this something you need? Okay, we're going to go over here. Is this something you need? Okay, this is it. Here you go. And the way our store worked, we had to stay with them all the time until they were back at the register. That was just customer service back in the day, unless they told us just to fuck off. But the worst aisle you could ever end up on is the nuts and bolts aisle. Mm. And I don't know if you have ever been into a hardware store in the nuts and bolts aisle, but it's an ordeal. It's not just a couple of dozen nuts and bolts or whatever. It is hundreds of nuts and bolts. And for anyone that wanted you to go into the nuts and bolts aisle, you automatically knew it was going to be a 20 or 30 minute long ordeal of like them being like, all right, I've got this, you know, is it, is the thread correct? Is the length correct? Is the width correct? And you were just essentially laying all of this stuff down on the floor and they'd be looking at it forever. So Mikey and this big black guy turn into the nuts and bolt aisle. And I was like, all right, cool. Mikey, you don't get to eat your breakfast, whatever. So about 10, 15 minutes later, on the radio... I hear a very enfeebled, very <laughs> low sound, like, just, just help. You know, imagine someone, imagine, like, you just, it, you, these were old walkie-talkies. So you just, he's, help. Just very low. You could, you could barely understand it. And I, you know, I, it caught my attention, but I didn't know who it was coming from. And somebody that was cutting glass in the back came out and was like, did you just hear somebody say help? on the radio and I was like I think I did and like uh, about that time over the radio it was a little bit louder it was like help and at that point some, we knew something was going on so the dude from the back started running down the aisles and looking to see what was going on and he looked down the nuts and bolt aisle and he just stopped oh, no. and he just the look on his face I still remember it was like the, <laughs> it, I don't know if you've ever seen an old man look terrorized, but like just the look on, he, he just, he saw, what he saw and he just, he went into the aisle and I was just kind of hanging back. I still didn't know what was going on, but I knew it was the nut and bolt aisle and I knew it was Mikey. And so all of a sudden I see that other old guy run out of the aisle toward me. <laughs> 
And I'm just like, what's going on? And he's like, Mikey <laughs> shit himself again. <laughs> again. Again. Which, I, you know, this was something new to me. But, you know, it was just the, the you know, just hearing this. I was like, what? But, you know, he sh he's like, Mikey shit himself again. And he was mad. So apparently Mikey had shit himself several times before at this point. And so I, I, you know, I have to go see what's going on. I walk up there, look in the aisle, and Mikey has literally, like, shit sludge <laughs> out of his fucking pants leg. And it's just covering him, his shoe and the black guy's shoe. Oh, no. Like, it is... What like, was... Have I create? Have I made it even more fantastical in my head, or was he on a ladder? No, he was not on a ladder. Oh okay. god, god damn! That I, was in a, my own head, my own fan fiction of this. I have him on a ladder. Maybe that was the other story of when I fell off a ladder and just completely cracked <laughs> myself on the ladder. Uh, but no, that he was oh, not on the ladder. Fuck. He he was in the aisle, and he just over the he couldn't hold it because he was so dedicated to his job at Ace Hardware. That he literally just, he probably couldn't help it. You know, he just, it came out. His McDonald's Big Breakfast came out. It's probably the damn liquor shits, too. Well, probably the liquor shits and the Big Breakfast probably didn't help. So, like, it was just a sludge of shit that came out, and it was everywhere. And when I looked into that aisle, it was both Mikey looking at me, like he was obviously incredibly embarrassed, and this large black man that was incredibly angry but also just like he, he was shocked at the situation and i was like mikey what happened and the black dude looked at me and he was he just in the most amazing look i've ever seen anyone tell me something just the most shocked and terrified look it's like this motherfucker done shit on me in his own damn self <laughs> There's the damn. I, I, for years, after being told this story, <laughs> well, just at randomly around the house, uh, just proclaim that every now and then. <laughs> yeah, just like literally, just this motherfucker done shit on me and his own damn self. <laughs> and I laughed so hard that I think I offended both of them, but I couldn't believe what I was even seeing. It, it was just shit all over the floor, everywhere. It was all over the dude's fucking shoes. I would have been mortified. So I, I went back to the back and just, I couldn't stop laughing. And at that point, they actually had to close the store and rope off the aisle or whatever. You know, they got the guy clean. I, I think they had to like take his shoes off and keep the shoes um, because, you know, they were covered in shit uh, or cleaned them off and then gave them back to him. I don't know if he just, he was probably just like, I don't fucking want these. You know, they're, they're covered in semen grandpa shit. Mm -hmm. but uh that was that was the last day i ever saw mikey uh, he never came back to work i'm guessing if that was like uh you know if he had done that more than once on a customer or just shit himself you know in the store that they were probably just like you need to like not be here anymore take some time off but he never came back and that is that is my last memory of semen grandpa and i think it was it was pretty fitting as, as far as just who he was it was the it was the perfect end to see my grandpa to see him, probably as embarrassed as the uh, the prostitutes and then the things <laughs> that he said. He said that he made them do to him. Um, it, it was a yeah a fitting end to see my grandpa. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>